2: It's an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live
0: from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? It's about. time for about. Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters. Good
3: morning, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Glad that you're with us on this fine June 22nd. Dan, how are you doing this week? I'm just doing dandy. The A's still winning every baseball game they play? Um...
4: And a little bit of a slide. I think we've lost five of eight. But yeah, we're oh, still in first first place, second best record in the <laughs> AL. I mean, since you asked, second best record in the AL, fifth best record in uh, all of major leagues. All how, right. how are those high-priced angels doing? Uh, you know, hanging in there. <laughs> Great come-from-behind win a couple days ago. Couple, uh, we're still, still <laughs> hanging on to that couple days ago. Sure. Yeah. All right, well, yeah. (laughs)
3: Glad you asked. Angels are doing better than the stock market, I'll tell you
4: that. Yeah.
3: Doing a little better than interest rates.
4: Yeah. I think I saw a line of mortgage brokers ready to jump off a bridge somewhere. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Tough week. It was. Tough, tough week. And,
3: uh, of course, I I have a good idea that this is probably what we're going to talk about for most of the
4: day here. (laughs) We've only been talking about it for three straight days, so why not make it a fourth?
3: Yeah. So, um, yeah, you want to just dive right in? May as well, huh? I'm game if you are. So I, I got to start by asking you the uh, the $64,000 question here. Um, does the stock market and bond market always move in the opposite direction? No. I kind of, so, I mean, in, in maybe you can explain this to me, but um, it seems to me that when there's They shouldn't always move in the same direction, but when there's big movement, you would think that it would, right? A few hundred points down in the Dow, whatever that's doing should cause people to, in that sell-off and panic, should want something more secure and should buy a bond. And likewise, if there's a big bond sell-off, it's because the future looks so bright and rosy that they should get out of that safe (laughs) investment and buy something with a little more fun and better return. Um, so I, I see how they may not always move together, but when there's big movement, I'm talking about multi hundred point swings in the Dow one day or the other. I would expect at that point that it would be opposite. How'd that work for you? you? <laughs> Don't you?
4: <laughs> terrible. It worked absolutely terrible this week. What we saw was... We um, saw a mass exodus of money from all markets. Yeah, That's so we
3: ultimately we have people going into cash, right? Is that the only real explanation? Sell my position and leave me in cash until we figure out what to do. I think so. So the money gets sidelined temporarily and, you know, the, the whole... The whole reason that we faced this most crazy, volatile week this week was because the the feds had their FOMC, the the usual two-day meeting. It's scheduled every month. We all expected them to have it. We all expected to hear their minutes and really heard, expected a Q&A session with Bernanke. Uh, not a whole lot changed from last time. I, I think there was a couple of... Uh, adjectives maybe that I would I would describe as changed ever so slightly, um, and it sent the markets absolutely into a tailspin.
4: It did. Okay, so they met in May, and that's when the first big move in interest rates occurred was in May, right? We saw rates move up about a half a percent right. in May, and that's when the talks of the, – the new – Word de jour, tapering. Yeah, well, first
3: Credit Suisse, right before that meeting, Credit Suisse wrote a piece saying that they expected tapering to begin soon as the unemployment rate was moving in the 7.2 to one range. That speculative piece, I think, got some people paying attention. And then we hang on the words
4: of what they said in May. And so here's what we knew coming out of the May meeting, going into this June meeting. We knew that they were continuing to buy $85 billion a month worth of bonds and treasuries. We we knew that this was going to continue, that these purchases were going to continue until the outlook for the job market had substantially improved. Let's call it indefinitely still. Right. We were calling it QE infinity (laughs) because there was no end date. We just knew that we were looking for substantial improvement. Um, almost no one expected the Fed to announce that the um, that they were going to ease up on the purchases. We were looking for hints. Sure. And I think maybe that's where the problem was. We were looking for hints, and we got more than, than hints. We got more like a game plan, um, although there were still no definite dates put in, you know, mentioned by Bernanke. Right. Right. Um, This is also one of four meetings out of the year where the Fed actually updates its economic outlook. So they're going to update you on things like GDP, um, where they expect unemployment rates to go over the next quarter, year, two years, things like that. Um, So that's what we knew going into this meeting. Then we got into the meeting. And more importantly, we got to the second day of the meeting when the minutes are released and then there's the testimony and press conference that follow. And that's where (laughs) – The wildness really started going. So touching back to
3: to last May, one of the things that happened there was in the Q&A, Bernanke was more or less asked that, would they begin tapering? How soon could the tapering begin? What would we expect? And he basically said, when the economy shows that it's warrantable to begin the tapering, we will then begin to taper. And they said... Could that be as soon as June? And he was relatively smug. Sometimes I think he's a little smug. He said, if the economy showed the signs that warranted tapering, it could be so soon. And I think what he really meant by that was, it's all in the numbers and the economy, and we're going to evaluate policy as as the economy is picking up steam and changing. And I think... He couldn't really, you know, take a sip from the beer and say, it ain't going to be June, pal, at least not June 13. But so anyways, it leaves people wondering what's going to happen. And um, so then in this meeting, uh, now we've talked about it again, had kind of the the bizarre um, automobile driving analogy, which I (laughs) thought was a bit strange, almost felt a little bit like – Wanting to tell a story to just take shelter from the storm for only a minute, but uh,
4: I think he also landed a ship on an aircraft carrier.
3: He did. He landed a ship smoothly on an aircraft carrier <laughs> during <laughs> during the Q and A. Um, but you know what? What I couldn't help but think about through the entire thing was that there's two different things here that we have to remember. The interest rate component, what the overnight is and, you know, kind of what's setting the general interest rate in our economy is a separate thing in its entirety from the QE3, this bond buying program. When we taper and ultimately end tapering and all of that goes away, there's nothing – There's nothing as part of the taper curtailment that has anything to do with the interest rate increase. Those are two separate things. Now, they've hinted and and more or less said that we'll look to begin tapering, slowing down the rate at which the, the, the feds are buying the bonds, when unemployment gets you know around the seven point one ish range, I think is what most people have decided is the number and then, on the interest rate side, when unemployment hits six and a half, that will be a trigger to begin evaluating whether or not it makes sense in that, in that economic climate for interest rates to go up. And everybody seemed to miss the piece where Bernanke said that at that six and a half percent level where they'll evaluate policy at that time, they're also going to have to pay very close attention to inflation and whether or not they're hitting that 2% inflation number. And, um, you know and then the only other thing he said that um i i thought was a little bit unnerving was just that there'll be substantial um time between the end of the tapering and the raising of the interest rates and that that i think makes the market a little bit uneasy but otherwise
4: did we learn anything new no there wasn't much new that was revealed during this meeting that they're still continuing the pace of bond buying that they've been Doing, they're still looking at the unemployment rate as the key metric for a change in policy. I think what was clarified was—I I don't know—we've maybe not. Maybe actually, I'm going to—I'm going to take that back. There was no additional clarification about the interest rate metric, um, other than you said the word "trigger," and I want to—I want to correct you here. Bernanke is very clear: it's not a trigger; it's a threshold. It's a—it's not. The minute that, the, that we see unemployment at 6.5%, we're flipping the switch and we're changing policy. We're going to then be in a position to reevaluate where we are, not only with the employment situation, but in other facets of the economy and in the economic recovery. Then we'll decide what we're doing, but it's not a trigger – it's it's where we're hoping to get to. I think he changed a little bit in mentioning the 7% mark with unemployment because before this meeting it had always been 6.5%. And then for whatever reason, 7% was a number that I, was revealed. I want to pause on this unemployment rate issue because that's been the metric we've been – Told for a few months now in a row.
3: And we have just two weeks ago gotten some fresh unemployment numbers. Right,
4: and it's up to 7.6%. We've got more participation in the labor market, but because of that, the the rate went up a little bit. The Fed on Wednesday said that they expect the unemployment rate could fall as low as 7.2% by the end of this year. And then down to 6.5 percent by the end of next year. So they said that on Wednesday. Yet somehow the markets have translated that into we're going to taper. We're going to taper possibly by September. 44 percent of traders believe September will be the beginning of Fed tapering. And I'm just um, unclear on how they got that from the message that was pretty clearly stated. With respect to the unemployment metric that we're looking at now,
3: pretty, pretty bizarre it is. The other thing too, I mean, so so first of all, just kind of backing up to this this um, the unemployment report that came out a couple of weeks ago here, um, the unemployment rate went up. Now, granted, this time it was because there was more people participating, which I guess is probably a good thing to me. It kind of translates into uh, the average job seeker guy is kind of coming out of hibernation, believing that the that the um, jobs market could possibly find him a job where he couldn't months ago. Um, so good news there. However, the unemployment rate increased. Additionally, what we had, 175,000 jobs. Um, that's not a great number. It's not a terrible number, not a great number. I don't see any huge strength in that. Um, this just Thursday here. So the, um, day after the meetings, we got, um, a look at the weekly initial jobless claims. So these are people applying for first time jobless claim benefit. Um, that number surprised some folks being up 18,000. So, Um, 18,000 people that that'll move the four week average up ever so slightly. And it, it keeps playing around this 350,000, um, number. And so in the employment market, I don't think, uh, there's any substantial improvement. You mentioned that this was one of four meetings where they update their statement about the economy. One of the changes that was updated this time is that labor market conditions were sh- were said to have shown further improvement versus some improvement. So that, and and we really do at this level when the when the Feds release minutes, the words chosen are very specific, and when there's a change in a in a word like that. From the usage of a word like some to further, they're intending people to really track along that they they feel that progress is being made. Um, I, I got a couple questions about this, though. Number one is, are they right?
4: About are, further are the feds even
3: right? Should we be Should we be listening to this um, kind of locker room chant about how rosy uh, the end of the summer looks and how we're going to make substantial progress and that unemployment's going to get down into the sixes and all these things? Should Should we believe that they're right? You have really no choice but to come <laughs> yeah. along for the ride. And the really interesting thing about this is that when you go back so – we, so we talk a little bit about the jobs. The job stuff's okay. It's not unbelievable. It's not getting worse. If anything, it looks to be better. The, the feds say that there's further improvement. Um, so what's going on in the rest of the economy? How does everything else look? Consumer confidence took a little bit of a whack in the recent weeks after being at a five-year high. Um, we've – you know, housing has been this this huge bright spot. So here's what I wonder. The feds are giving us the big locker room chant about how everything's going to be so great, and we're going to go out and and whoop some booty here in the coming weeks. Hopefully going to get this unemployment number down as soon as September. Maybe that's going to trigger some tapering, is what about half of the investors now believe. And meanwhile, interest rates have been on an outright rampage, going from, About two months ago, it was, it was pretty easy to attain like a 3.375 ish interest rate, um, really at no points. And today, if you went like for like, it's probably 4.375, I would, I would venture to guess. And so my, and that's, by the way, that's ridiculous movement, especially because a lion's share of that's happened in the last two weeks, three weeks. Um, it's really been pretty frustrating, and um, a, a piece was written this week where you were quoted, Dan, saying that it's been brutal from people that are that are in the process and maybe that weren't yet locked or are looking at meet, maybe needing a lock extension. God forbid, um, but it, it has. It's been a little bit of a bloodbath, and so where I'm going with this is: does that movement, does that
4: radical movement, and that volatility threaten? Housing, I, I think it – I don't know about threatened. I, I think it's definitely going to bring us back from uh, an environment where we have multiple offers and this ultra-competitive market in the home-buying side um, to now a more normal amount of supply and demand. I think the demands – it's going to hurt demand. So, yeah, in that way, it is going to hurt housing. Um, it's going to hurt people's ability to qualify. People who a month and a half ago said, "You know what? I'm ready to go out and buy a home. I'm going to go get pre-qualified. This is the payment I can afford." They're out looking for homes now. Their affordability, if they want to maintain that monthly payment level, has gone down pretty substantially, by about twenty percent. Um, so the you know the three hundred thousand dollar home now they've got to look for something closer to two fifty in order to keep that payment where they where they're comfortable. Um, I think that beyond housing, it has – the uh, all now with rates going higher, the the cost for companies to borrow is moving higher, cost for other consumer credits moving higher. Um, rates across the border are moving higher. It can affect all sectors of our economy. Before this most recent move, the Fed, in one of four meetings out of the year, updates their economic outlook. It's not just about employment. It's about gross domestic product as well. Um Before this move in rates, they revised their outlooks slightly downward, saying that GDP looks like it's going to be a little lower than previous estimates. So now we've got this move. Now I think that... And and that would generally (laughs) spur people on to want to buy
3: some bonds. And and in the midst of a great big sell-off, it's certainly not. Here's the other thing that I've been kind of thinking about this week that I... I think is worth is worth giving some consideration, and I wonder if the feds are too. So check it out. Every quarter um, for the last several years here, we watch the banks. We're looking at the banks' profits. We want to know that the banking crisis is over and that these banks are on track and going to survive. When they release their profit numbers, they generally are giving some indication of what the mortgage business, um, what mortgage originations are doing for their bottom line. And these make up some pretty substantial chunks of bank profit lately. And so... So here we go. Let's talk about this for just a second. In the environment that we've come from, um, refinances make up roughly seventy-five percent of total loan origination volume every month. So seventy-five percent of the bank profit. I'm gonna. I won't go on record here to say is threatened um, when refinancing slows because it in like this you know when when rates go up just a little bit an eighth or a quarter, I think it it has a pretty and we see this in the lock volume of new loans. It has an ability to draw people out that were waiting um they thought maybe it's going to go down a little bit lower, I'm just going to hang out here on the sidelines. They see rates move up a little bit and go, "Hey, I don't want to miss the boat. It's time to hop in and lock and we see that phenomenon kind of draw people out every time we experience slight upticks today. You've really got to have an interest rate. Um, well, and, and maybe, I, I realize not all refinancing is based solely on interest rate. There are other life events that would cause somebody to want to refi um, and various loan programs and stuff. But just for the standard average situation, you've got to have an interest rate, you know, probably somewhere in the fours now where a month ago um, – you know, and I'm saying high fours, maybe even the the low fives are above that to to make sense to refi. And now, um, you know, it it went basically from you could could stand a benefit if your rate was four for refi. Now you need something in the fives, I would guess. That being said, if we grind out half of those refis, then the bank's I would see the bank 's profitability falling pretty substantially, so then so let 's fast forward to the next quarter here or so. if these rates stay where they are and refinance volume falls the way that they that it will with those rates um, and all of a sudden we 're going to see some headlines now about banks breaking even or maybe posting a loss, and all of the headlines will carefully tie this to the increase in interest rates and you know that then undermines consumer confidence and sends the rest of the markets into a tissy as we see that all the banks earnings are falling you know i just it seems really delicate to me i wish there was a way that uh the feds could have made some sort of better statement a little bit more clarifying that would take in some of this fear and um because if you look at it It seems like no matter where you look, people agree that we've misunderstood and misinterpreted what the Fed statement truly is. Um, You know, we've been doing um, quantitative easing between QE, QE2, and QE3 now since 2009. It's been a part of everyday life here. I think sometimes we forget that it's going on behind the scenes, and then I I look at this and realize that... uh, you know it is having a substantial impact and um coming figuring out how to phase that out is a pretty crazy thing it's going to it's going to cause a lot of volatility as we're learning now Speculation and rumor of something that could happen in six to twelve months um, is already, you know, raised the price at the pump quite a bit in the mortgage world.
4: Well, it is a it's a difficult position for one person to be in when there's millions, if not billions, of eyes on you, (laughs) analyzing and 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 reading into every comment and every word that is made. Um, The comments that you're saying were echoed this week by two of the Fed voting members. Um, wishing that there had been some other statement made or some other spin put on um, the the news, the way, the way the, that Bernanke delivered the news to the media so that it wouldn't have caused this reaction. This clearly is not the reaction they were looking for. Their goal is to keep interest rates down. That has been the mandate, the policy. The whole purpose of what they're doing is to keep – borrowing costs low to help spur this economy on and i am pretty darn certain that they did not want a one percent increase in rates in the last 60 days i'm i'm pretty certain that's not part of the game plan um and so we had a couple fed members come out even this week and suggest that that you know if we could do it over again we would we'd we'd handle this differently in which case, you would think the market would hear
3: that and respond now by, you know, saying, Hey, it's maybe not entirely the way that, that we perceived it in the beginning. Uh, anyway, we we've got to talk more about this, Dan. I, I know we got to do a break here, but I got a little bit of a theory here that I want to bounce off you about the investment community in terms of, uh, the, the bond stuff. And so I want to talk about that after the break. Want to, uh, guys, we're, it's just me and Dan today. We don't have a guest in here, so we can take phone calls throughout the show. If you guys are interested in calling and chiming in on this stuff, um, you can. The number to the studio is 543-8830. 543-8830. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to keep talking about the uh, the feds and the treasury and all this craziness in the, in the market lately when we get back. So do stick around for more Mortgage Matters.
2: For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people. Agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544 8662 or online at PattersonRealty.com.
1: What a state of generosity! Look what my agent got for me just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm.
0: Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez.
5: The city of Morro Bay has their patriotic arms open and waiting for you to join them once again this 4th of July. For an Independence Day celebration that will be better than ever.
0: All the festivities kick off at 10 a.m. with the Moral Bay Mile Skateboard Push Race on the Harbor Walk. And don't forget to decorate your bike for the 4th Annual Bike Parade at 1 p.m. from The Rock to Tidelands Park, where the activities continue.
5: It's a fun family day with live music, lawn games, and more.
0: This year's music lineup includes Zongo All-Stars, Back Bay Betty, and headliner Rio Salinas with Louie Ortega. And
5: of course, the star of every Morro Bay 4th of July is the fireworks, which blasts off at 9 p.m.
0: This is a 4th of July celebration that brings you back, and it's fun for the entire
5: family. Brought to you by Tognazini's Dockside 2, Stax Wine Bar, and Eldorado Broadcasters. For a
0: schedule of events, lodging options, and more, check out the website at morrobay4th.org. That's morrobay
3: Borrowing hundreds of thousands of dollars for a home purchase or refinance can be a stressful endeavor. And if you're like most Californians, you only get a home loan once every five years. That's why you need an experienced guide who knows the terrain and can carry the load of two mules. You need the Mortgage Sherpa, and he's only at Central Coast Lending. Let the Mortgage Sherpa lighten your load. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Mortgage Matters. Now, had I known you were going to bring us back with that Bob Marley jam there on the day that Molly is in here filming for her special documentary, I'd have brought my bass and just played that bass line for you. It's a... Real crowd pleaser. (laughs) You should just airbase. There it is. Just do it. No, only people that can't really play instruments play air instruments. I
4: don't know. Some people take that pretty seriously. Yeah, yeah. There's like air Uh, band competition. International, like air
3: guitar. Like, there's a reigning champion today. There's somebody that is (laughs) the best air guitar player in the world. I'm guessing there's some people that just didn't enter. You know they're really good air guitarists, but they just want to keep it private. Yeah, this so it's hard to say. Hard to know if that guy's really the best.
4: Yeah, Jason. yeah. I think you're That's pretty tough. good at air. <laughs> <laughs> Specializes in the hot, the hot air. All right, enough already. <laughs> you said it. I did. Do hey, you so- remember the good old days? Uh, like with Fonzie? No, those are the happy days. Oh, oh, my bad. <laughs> hey. No, I mean like back in May, hey. May 3rd. You remember May 3rd? Two days before my birthday. I, yeah, that was it. What happened? The 10-year note yield was at 1.63%. Oh, back when God loved me. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know where the 10-year note yield closed this week? Oh, like five? <laughs> Not quite that high. 2.54%. Oh, by the way,
3: 5-4?
4: 2.54%. That's over a 24-month high. It's like, I think, back Dude. to August 2011. No, that was like Thursday news. It's, it's lower. It's, it's higher gotta than that. Be, it's got to be like, that's like 0.9 high.
3: That's high. We talk about that 10-year yield all the time because there's always been a trackable relationship between that and the interest rate. It's been said that historically it's like 1.5%. So, in other words, if the 10-year um, yield is at 1.5, then you would expect interest rates to be at like 3.
4: So, And we saw hey, that. You hey, just said 30-year thir- 30 quarter, thirty-year fixed rate went up about a point, and we've seen a 91 basis point increase in the 10-year the yield. Dirty. Um, yeah, and so when it hits this
3: 2.5 level, um, yeah, you looking at you're staring down the barrel of thirty-year fix around four and a half percent. So, hey, let me ask you this. Oh, that's what I was going to say about though. I I really feel like since all the stimulus has been in the economy, and the banks have been trying to make more money, and there's so much less competition now since there's like four big banks running the world now. Um, I think that spreads closer to two percent now. I, I've long been thinking it was like, yeah, it always feels closer to like 1.8 or 1.9. Right now, it feels like it's closer to 2. At 2.54, I, I do. I think if you're doing a no points deal, you probably are in that 4.375 to 4.5 level. So you're it is. It's about 200 basis points on the spread. Um, so it might be time to revisit that a little bit. The upside to that is that, I think, is some built-in profit where the banks could potentially cut some of that out as um, things slow down. They may have been smart enough to preserve that part to kind of beef things up as the slowdown occurs, be able to absorb some of it. Didn't feel that way this week, though. Every little tick in the market brought a reprice on the mortgage stuff immediately, Um, For those of you that are following along at home, interest rates are are not something that's set. It's based on the market. And so when the market opens on the East Coast, uh, by the time we're out of bed, we generally already have rate sheets from the bigger lenders. If the market starts moving, they'll actually kick out a second or third version of the rate sheet. This happens sometimes several times in a day. And usually the closing costs will change by you know, an eighth of a point in fee now, not interest rate, but in fee. So generally speaking, you know, on a, on a $200,000 loan, you're talking about it could move by a hundred to $200 up or down. And, and in a normal market, usually we'll see it open up and then maybe it gets an eighth worse in the morning and then an eighth better in the afternoon and the day closes kind of flat. And then the next day, kind of same thing. Um, This week, after the uh, Fed statement, we saw uh, reprices for the worst in a single day of almost a whole point. So, on that same two hundred thousand dollar loan, instead of moving by its predictable hundred to two hundred dollars, that two hundred thousand dollar loan would have moved by about two thousand dollars in closing costs. That's an absolute bloodbath. Um, Dan joke saying there was probably loan officers lining up to leap off of the tallest points around the county. Uh, but that but that's a that's what goes into it. That's what's a tricky part of it. So here's what I wanted to to run by you, Dan. I was talking with a couple of uh associates this week and um I got a little theory at work. Go back to two thousand and eight, right? The uh you know, what happened? The market, the Dow, if we look just at the Dow, the Dow fell from its one-time highs of the 14,000, um, high end of the 14,000 fell down to, I want to say, I mean, did I really see it at 6,300? Or if I was I to like 6,500.
4: 6,500. Yeah, something like that. I always
3: got to watch myself because I'm kind of a fish story kind of guy. You know, the over the years, the fish gets bigger. Um, but so, yeah, let's just let's call it 7,000. Even there that 's a ridiculous drop of i mean quite clearly about fifty percent um, capturing the headlines last year, we were learning that uh, a lot of these people with the with the stock market getting back to fifteen thousand and hitting all time highs these people are kind of just healed. And if we if we if you stayed in the market and your investments recovered, then they could your maybe your four hundred one K is back to what it was in, in two thousand three or something. So we're 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 paying close attention to that. Now I just kinda wanna like zoom out a little bit and look at what's happened during this period of time. We know that um that the feds have been buying mortgage backed securities now. Um, since two thousand and nine we 're on the third version of the quantitative easing. The only real um, real progress that 's been made in the bond market in the interest rate market that kind of thing has been a direct result of these of these buyings right by the feds so if you if if they were fully absent of out of the market completely, where would they be we don 't really know but For all of these people that have been invested in the stock market and the bond market using this to try to recapture all that wealth they lost in the last few years, they're kind of getting back to snuff right now, and they know that it's because of all this stimulus. And now, hey, granted they haven't really outright said it, but when the Fed was out of the market and we were just business as usual... Um, That was the worst feeling of my life. I lost half of everything that I ever owned. I lost half my 401k. I lost half my stocks. I lost half of my uh, home value. You know, basically probably lost half of your life expectancy with the stress of that too. And so now they go, I don't want to be a part of the next great experiment. So if you're talking about winding it down, I don't really care if it's September or it's in two years, I'm out. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to be holding any of you know, the bonds, and I don't want to be a part of the stocks. I don't want to go through that again. And I kind of wonder if if you really look at it from that angle, these traders and hedge fund managers and all of the big investors are looking at this saying – This is, I mean, they realize that they need to be in the market, but we're seeing a sell-off this week that just doesn't make sense on both sides of the market. We're seeing the bond market sell-off like crazy. We're seeing the stock market sell-off pretty good. By the way, yesterday... The Dow kind of erased uh, some three days trading. It was going to be down 600 points. It was solidly in the red several times through the day. Managed to close up a meager half a percent or something like that, 40, 50 points, whatever it was. Um, it barely closed up. And I think that that was really some optimism and people say, yeah, let's finish this week out with a little bit in the green and and made some trades and stuff. I, I'm expecting to see more of this next week as people are spooked by the volatility. So I guess my point is because of what we just so recently went through, but more important, the recent The very recent healing that just happened, how many of these people are just fleeing from the market because they're just terrified that it could happen again?
4: I think that's exactly what's happening there. It's known that the Fed's been involved in our economy for five years now, and that's really been the driver of the stock market bull rally that we've seen. It's been keeping the interest rates low. Now that they're hinting that they're getting out, whether it's September, December, or next year, it's gonna, it's, it's gonna happen soon. This isn't going to go on um, in perpetuity. So let's get out now before we're the last guy out. That and so, if anything, it seems like we've had a premature exit and people just sitting on the sidelines while we get some clarity where this market's heading. Um, you know, are we really as as healthy and, reco- and, and in a state of recovery as we believe we are, as all the numbers have suggested over the past year um, or more, or is it all artificial because of the Fed involvement? Well, so yeah, exactly. Now, let me
3: tell you. I want to. I want to talk a little bit about this impact. I think that it could have on housing because we we touched on it ever so slightly. I'm generally a little bit more pessimistic, and I want to tell you um that i think we're venturing into some really dangerous territory and not just because values may um values may soften a little bit when you mentioned earlier this week i heard you tell wes that um you know you thought this might drive us towards that equilibrium that frankly i think most of us have been wanting um In the home buying market. In the home buying market, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, is that 12% year – and that was Wes's response. I hope so because 12% year-over-year appreciation is not sustainable. And, you know, obviously it's not. That's an overheated market. So, um, But but in that, I want to just say that um, if that's fully dependent just on interest rate and if we're seeing interest rate cause this right now – there could it could be kind of like some uh it could be a real shot across the bow to the whole housing market. And if for no other reason, I think it's based on confidence and affordability. But check this out. Did we forget that um let me give you an example here uh so I can make my point. Uh it's illegal for you to induce somebody to buy. Um in 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 some States are a little bit more strict about this than others. For example, um, I could say, I'm going to buy your appraisal on your purchase loan. That's like an inducement to buy. You're kind of encouraging somebody by, um, making it affordable, sort of giving them an offer that could expire soon that may draw them out to make this big financial decision, possibly, um, you know, with some undue force here. Uh, these interest rates that the feds have been in successfully able to get down to dirt cheap for a 30 year fix. Was that not an inducement to buy? I mean, it just clearly was. We see so many people and you know, and you could argue that it's just because of the increased affordability and stuff, but, but absence of that, I mean, look at all these people that we induced to buy in the last three to four years here. We managed to sell through what was previously described as a glut of inventory down to a position where we have an over-demand and an under-supply. That's what the headlines have been full of for the last couple of, uh, you know, I don't know, what, 12 months here. And now we're going to remove in its entirety that, that inducement with the super affordable interest rates. And then how many people will just kind of cool off from there? I do. I think that there's potential to slow it down, and I think it's not just the affordability factor, but more than that. I think it's the um, the public's perception and just confidence in the market. That's what I was going to say. And it's,
4: it's going to affect the confidence factor. You're already seeing the investor confidence wane now in the home builders. The home builder stocks are all down. Bank stocks right. are all down because, like. Like you're saying, the banks have been so profitable, but a lot of it's been mortgage revenue related. The home builders, we've been seeing housing starts improving, we've been seeing permits pulled at faster clips. So here's that's gonna so that, that's kind spin-off. of my
3: final point here.
4: In two thousand and
3: nine, kinda took some cojones to come on out and want to buy a house oh, yeah, let me go through the list of the 40 foreclosures in this neighborhood and and have a peek inside all of them and see which one's a good deal. And, yeah, real estate went down 10% from last year to this year, and it may do that again next year. But I'm getting this dirt-cheap interest rate, and I'm pretty happy about the opportunity here. And I wasn't able to afford a home in 2005, so it kind of took some guts, though. Versus fast forward a little bit here. Let's just go on into January of this year. I'm hearing it's a frenzy. I'm hearing interest rates are the historical lows. Stuff's already turning around. We're already hearing about people that have made appreciation this year. Um, there's no doubt from however you measure it, we're at the bottom of all bottoms. And if you haven't gotten in, you've missed the boat. No cojones needed right there. That's just step on up and get one. If you don't, you are missing out. And now let's say next month with this little lack of confidence, maybe some bank earnings starting to come out, not looking good, interest rates higher, refinance slowing down, reports in the paper of some loan officers jumping off of bridges. All of a sudden you 're going to have a, a position where people have to go, "Do I want to buy right now did that Did all that crazy appreciation that did happen in that last year there was that real or was that just overheated from those rates that are now gone? Am I going to be the sucker that comes in and buys for four hundred to learn next year my house is worth three fifty then all of a sudden, you know, you got people thinking again and, and we had a no brainer six months ago. Thanks to this rate movement, now you gotta like sit down and make sure that you know what's
4: going on and that you're making a good investment. Well what does it do to the seller side also? We've been in a period of six to twelve months where we've lacked the inventory for the buyers that are out there. Sellers seemed like they were just getting more confident and getting ready to put homes on the market, feeling like there was opportunity to recover maybe some of the lost equity that that um, occurred over the last few years. Maybe they could move into a, a nicer home and a, and the affordability oh, would sure. be there because of the interest rates. And now, you know what? I, I refinanced recently. My home is gaining back value, but now the affordability isn't there for me to move up into the, the home that I really wanted. I'm, you know, I don't know where stay this economy put. is going. I think the safe bet's to stay put. Are Did we just kill the seller side of the housing market? Um,
3: To be determined. To be determined. You know, Bernanke in the Q&A where he was asked about that, hey, you know, no doubt you've seen that interest rates have gone up recently and they're, in fact, going up again today. What do you think about that? And he basically said, well, if you look at home values or, you know, affordability on a national level, the increase in interest rates not that big of a deal. And I want to I want to draw his attention though, if you know Bernanke's listening right now and I hope that he is, in our nation, the edges of the nation have the highest priced real estate that there is. And when you t- get into the extremes to make the point, That change in affordability is a pretty big deal here. So a $400,000 house is going to affect – it's going to have a different impact by 1% increase in rates than a $90,000 house out in Cornville, wherever, middle America. So – and then we look to the edges of the country here where, you know, I mean – People talk about it all the time. Oh, yeah, you got to be in California where you pay the paradise tax for all that great sunny weather that you have. But at the same time, they watch us as kind of trendsetters. And if and if we're struggling on the edges, it undermines confidence back across the nation again, too. So I think that, that that's a part of it there. And, you know, the other thing is I really feel like I, I – I told you this the other day, Dan. I feel like I misunderstood the feds. I felt pretty disappointed. I kind of felt like uh like a kid that just found out that I was adopted, you know? <laughs> and like I found out on I my know exactly own exactly what you mean. Like I found out on my own and I walked in and I was like, Mom, is this true? <laughs> That's how I felt. And I, I really did, because I I really felt like the feds, as smart as they are, Princeton and Yale and all these big lofty great resumes and they're so smart. I really just thought, hey, they've spent like a trillion dollars on this crap keeping rates low and making sure we're all good and making sure that housing is stable and so much effort. And then to just make some off-the-cuff remark about, oh, yeah, the, you know, it's going to go up when the economy will permit. Could that be as soon as June? If the economy would allow it, he should have said, it's not going to be June. That's not going to happen. Maybe June of 2014, um, you know, or just said something like, that can't be predicted, All we're going to be able to do is continue to weigh all of the metrics out and decide. And as of right now, you know, some factory is going to have to open and create a million jobs for it to be June. And um, so, so basically... How cavalier he was about interest rates going up on his watch right now, where it's simply because of misunderstood um, statements that people are reading the wrong way too far into that's causing this run up, and they're just. And, and then he he went on to say that he actually thinks that it's kind of healthy that that there's a little bit higher yield because it's based on the strength in housing and the perceived value of housing, and I'm like. Dude, you just like you just doubled back on me right there because you said perceived value and it 's like yeah what's what is the value Well, the value's different when it was three and a quarter interest rate versus four and a half value's different where you're still buying eighty five billion dollars a month worth of bonds and it's going out of control already. I can only imagine what's going to happen when they do stop. What's that yield going to do then? I mean, we're going to see we're going to see interest rates at 9%. I
4: don't think they're going to go that high. But I see I I think that the Fed chairman was very clear that it there was this <laughs> scenario that if we continue to improve at this pace, we could Start doing this as early as this year, and it would, you know, we would gradually ease purchases into next year, and then we'll look at lowering the Fed funds rate.
3: That was times, that was
4: interpreted as a certainty.
3: How many times have been, they been wrong about the recovery?
4: Though? They've been very optimistic about the recovery. It's been
3: pushed back. I, we could go assemble a highlights reel of the show here, just covering back the Fed statements about going from you know late 2013 uh, to fourth quarter 14, and the middle of 2015. We've been pushing this pup back through the entire thing. Um, so if they're wrong, how much should we bet on that? <laughs> right now, it feels like a lot. Right now, it feels like it, if it if it can, and I realize it's, it's not a guaranteed thing, but if this derails the housing economy, which feels like the only bright spot in the economy, the only reason that we're talking about all this stuff, if this hits that market it will seem so foolish all this talk would seem so foolish
4: don't you think i i think the foolishness is on the the folks who are making the trades that are affect i i think what we saw here was proof that the fed doesn't control doesn't have ultimate control over mortgage rates yeah they have control over policy which investors use to – they use that information to make bets in the economy. See, but
3: what's weird about that, though, is when we say investors, I don't know who you are. It's not like it's – these aren't just like the Joe Citizen guy on a Scott trade at home. These are big managers and stuff. And so then I see a video on the Wall Street Journal this week from um, Bill Gross, the bond god. He's the guy that runs PIMCO. I mean, every – Every folder your employer ever gave you about managing your IRA has PIMCO funds in there. This dude knows what's up. And he came out and put a little statement out saying, oh, man, this is overheated. He used the word misinterpreted. Misinterpreted. And then he went on to talk at length about how it needs to be interpreted. And the fact is, is that that six and a half percent unemployment rate is a point at which they're going to evaluate policy, basically saying we're not considering raising interest rates until it gets to that level, at which point we're going to start to talk about it and we're going to begin to evaluate everything that's going on. And then inflation is a primary piece of that. And we know that The bond buying like this, the injection of capital into the market, one of the primary reasons we're doing this, other than keeping interest rate low, is to keep some inflation. I mean, the feds are terrified about that, um, going back to like fifth grade economics here, but that high unemployment with deflation, you know, which they, they call the stagflation. I mean, that's something to be literally terrified about. And so... One of the reasons that they are injecting this money is to try to keep money cheap and create inflation so that we don't have high unemployment and deflationary cycle. Um, So, and and here's the other thing. Bernanke said, as he announced the, the minutes from the feds, that they were prepared to decrease spending if they needed to or increase spending. That's like nobody even wanted to hear that. Hey, man, this guy might show up next week saying, hey, we're going to buy $120 billion now. Because of what just because happened. Because <laughs> of what just happened. We're prepared to input more capital and, and just keep pump, pumping this thing up, see if we can can drive those rates back down to ensure that housing is totally girded up and ready to rock and to try further to create some inflation.
4: That's but after, after seeing this move, which clearly was countering what they wanted to happen, do you think that they would do that? Do you think they would they would up bond purchases now seeing that they don't have the control they maybe thought they had or others thought they had? Do you think they'd just go in and say, all right, now we're going to spend $120 billion a month? Sure. You think so? Yeah, why not? It's a it's a, a yank of the chain of all you of these You don't think people. that's fighting a losing battle? No, I mean – hey, here's
3: the deal, dude. These bonds continue to be a great investment. So even if they buy them um, and up the level just to try to move the market, even if that's in vain, it's still going to prove it to be a great investment. We'll see. Hey, everybody, we got to do a quick break here, a few minutes out for the top of the hour. We'll be back shortly after 11 with more Mortgage Matters. We do hope you'll stick around. All right, everybody, welcome back. Was Dan, Dan was talking about happy days during that first hour there, so Jim put the music bed in. May 3rd was happy days. Yes, these aren't
4: the happy days. It <laughs> doesn't feel too happy right now. You know, we got to look at the other side of it, though. It's, Uh-oh. It's good news for, for savings rates. It's, Not yet. It's good news for people who have money in a bank account, in a savings account, in a money market account. Well... <laughs> maybe not not yet you're right yeah not yet not yet we need stocks to improve i guess for people to enjoy these higher interest rate times we I think, need banks to up their their dividend on the on the savings account i think one of the problems
3: is uh in the market lately For at least the last year, I keep looking at the stock market numbers going, what is this even based on? This is outrageous. There's no way. It shouldn't be 15000 This is crazy. Nothing's good. Unemployment's so crazy. Everything sucks. All the numbers that we read are terrible, except for housing. And housing is like, this is basically like putting some lipstick on a pig here because these interest rates are so low. Um, So... That that's probably also part of this mess is that the just the the relationship between the stock and bond market have been strained in a bizarre way too. So uh, maybe the stock market does belong down more. From I agree. Fifteen thousand. Why agree. was it at fifteen thousand? Good question. <laughs> we still have. Crazy high unemployment. We, you know, we don't have the inflation that we're trying to have. GDP has been below uh, its mark, and the expectations almost every time or it gets downgraded shortly thereafter um, through these revisions and stuff. We're, you know, what else? What other? What other uh, evidence could I draw from here that? That it's not as rosy as a all time like to me. I want to see the stock market go to its all time high when the economy is like the best it's ever been. This is the best it's ever been. This is kind of crazy. In, it's in,
4: better than the worst it's ever been.
3: Well, but your confidence <laughs> is so high because housing has really uh, made a turnaround, and that's been based on uh, some trillions of dollars being spent into keeping interest rates low, and now we just let that spring out of the can. So um,
4: It goes to show you how short of a memory most most people have, You because know, all the headlines are about highest confidence in five years, builder confidence, swords... Soars to a seven-year high. Worst
3: trading day in the Dow since 2011. Yeah, I saw that like, this week.
4: How about compare it to 2001? How is it compared to 2001? <laughs> Happy days. <laughs> 2003. I remember that. That was when I graduated from college. I was looking for a job. Found a job right away. Yeah, and,
3: and speaking of that, because this, we just had a, a Father's Day and graduation weekend, right? The dads and grads. Uh, I graduated from Cal Poly about the same time as you, though I didn't know you. I remember what I felt like. It was kind of like, Ew, job market's not really that good. I had professors and everybody like all saying, I wouldn't want to be graduating right now. This is a pretty nasty little place to be going into. And um, we have some... Uh, People graduating from college last week. I wonder how they're feeling. Do you think that shocks
4: the unemployment number? College graduates? Yeah. All they? these new people out into the job market? Uh, maybe, because it's June. Yeah. You think the July number just gets heavily impacted? When do you, yeah, so when do you become a
3: participant that's like eligible to be counted in the... I've been wondering that. I want to know how they engage participants, too.
4: Well, it's based on that random phone call. You know, they call, like, 20 Are people looking and for work? apply the the results to the whole entire
3: country. No, I'm 30 playing Xbox in my mom's basement. <laughs> Please don't count me in that metric, Mr. Governor. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of strange, like, how they count those people. But, yeah, just maybe maybe June and July should have always an increase in unemployment as we, like usher a new class forward into like a pretty tough jobs market. So it's c- kind of oddly enough though, um 12 years ago when you graduated from Cal Poly, the jobs market wasn't terribly welcoming. I mean, it's not like you it's not like you just walked in with like a nurse's degree, you know. It was like I'm going to have to find a job now and that's kind of scary and I don't know where. And it's kind of that way today. When the stock market's the highest it's ever been, I don't know. Seems, seems hard. It's just hard for me to understand that stuff. During the break, Dan mentioned that um, basically, w- what
4: were your exact words? I have, I have no idea. No idea what's going. I no longer feel qualified to talk about the things we talk about. The stock market and the
3: bond market. Yeah,
4: I'm just gonna be quiet about it.
3: The What used to be... I mean, you
4: took economics in fifth grade, so you clearly have a deeper knowledge of this stuff than I. (laughs) When was economics? Sixth grade? I want to say high school. No. High school. Dude, I remember
3: wrapping a book in a brown paper bag that said econ on it. I was in seventh grade, at least. (laughs) High school? High school. All right. Well... You know, I'm. An, I was a nerdy kid too. Maybe I was like yeah, reading right. high school books in fifth grade. I like economics. Um,
4: so let's just say this: um, we can talk about something good, like homes, house, pr- home prices, see, home sales, or we can talk about other stuff. Anything else? See, but I'm like I. I
3: In one respect, the headlines sort of want to, um, headlines are generally like less on the informative side and more about fueling the current perception. Yeah. So when housing is bad, they can show every headline there is to just make you want to leap off a cliff. And when it's going good, here are all the headlines to make you feel like the sky is the limit.
4: Now, home sales passed the 5 million mark in May. First time that's happened in three and a half years. When was that? Wait a second, 2010. First time it's been this high since 2010. Nice. Remember those rosy days? That was when there was a tax credit for first-time <laughs> yeah, homebuyer. Exactly.
3: What were we talking about earlier? And in, um, that uh, incenting people to buy.
4: Yeah. Well, builder sentiment. Oh wait wait. More home builders. The most home builders are optimistic about home sales. In seven years, since 2006, 52%, the
3: majority. Uh, mm, 52% was an F when I was an econ. <laughs>
4: but it's the majority <laughs> for a headline. But so here's my – this is
3: why I feel hungover from the – um. this week in the market here. Is this stuff – is this stuff likely to be the headlines of next month when we're all grappling with how to how to integrate the four and a half percent interest rate into this market? I don't is know. Is it still going to be we're dusting off tool bags and everyone's so happy chipper go get them whistling on their way to the job site? Or is it if gonna you look be-
4: at if you look at stocks as a six month leading indicator of what the economy is going to look like? Then no, it's not what it's going to look like. People are taking money out of the the home builder stocks that have been rallying, Um, the bank stocks that have been so hugely profitable, record profits, seeing all that money coming out of of those. I feel sad. Um, Yeah. It does, but sometimes I wonder, are we in a bubble because we're in the industry we're in the industry we our, our whole world is housing and mortgage and and that are we in a bubble are we the the odd yeah, man out when it comes to this our perception of what's let's going interview
3: on? jim real quick jim please turn your microphone on
4: okay I'm on. how do things jim, feel
3: when the feds now you're you've been sitting in here in this small room with us for about five years something like so that. you probably know enough to be dangerous here um did you hear in the headlines this week that the feds were talking and, you know, that they were talking about quantitative easing and maybe yes. slowing that? Yes. And how did this impact you? Did Did you feel that it was good news or bad news? Or indifferent. Or indifferent?
7: Kind of indifferent.
3: Kind of yeah. still just had to get up and point the car at work in the morning. Exactly.
4: Huh? Yes. You cared more about Kim and Kanye's baby name, huh? Northwest? Uh, yeah, and I didn't care about that. <laughs> but <laughs> you Samuel. cared more about it. Than you did about the Fed. Probably. Okay. Yeah.
3: I bet I more people do. Yeah. I couldn't believe those knuckleheads named a kid Northwest. <laughs> well,
7: this is Kanye West you're talking about.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of natural. You know he's been dreaming. Oh, right. yeah. he, he thinks, a kid, thinks yeah. he's a god for sure. I bet he did. He came up with that probably in like his like fifth grade journal yeah. right after Econ was <laughs> sitting down. That's right. I'm going to name name my son North. Yeah. It was funny last night on the <laughs> last night I was watching one of the late night shows as I was going to bed and uh I think it was Jimmy Fallon. Okay. He said um Kanye named his kid North, you know. So now and for those of you that don't follow this crap, um Kim Kardashian who's famous I think for being famous or something.
7: She's famous for being Kim Kardashian, yeah. Yeah. Like,
3: Kardashian's daughter. Whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The whole thing's a little <laughs> bit annoying. And then there's this rapper guy that has a bigger uh. ego than anybody around, and so they got married, or, mm-hmm. are they married? Uh, they had a yeah, baby, yeah, that we are. know, so, and yeah. they named the baby Northwest. Yeah, great. So anyways, Jimmy Fallon was like, and it's all over the headlines. Everybody's so excited about them naming this baby Northwest. Everyone's talking about it. And they put a montage together of about 50 weathermen that keep going <laughs> and from the Northwest, 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 Northwest. <laughs> I got a pretty good kick out of that. Yeah, anyways. Yeah. So sadly, more people probably know about that than yeah. know about what's happening with the Fed. And, no, I heard about it.
7: I did hear about it, but um, personally, as I think most people it doesn't affect them, does it? I mean, I don't know. It
3: does. It, does. it, affects, it affects you, you whether yeah. or not you realize it. It affects it. How's yeah, your right confidence right now?
4: Yeah. What do you think yeah.
3: about the economy? I think it's okay. You
4: yeah. think it's okay? How does yeah. it compare to two years ago?
7: I think it. Uh, I think it's up. I think that people are a little more willing to spend. And
4: are you um, more willing to spend now? Yeah.
7: I think so.
3: Feeling, feeling good about tomorrow.
7: Yeah, better than you know a couple of years ago. Hmm. Yeah. I think so. How about well, you guys? Eh, yeah.
3: I've, I've been better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, see, so that's kind of what Dan's getting at is that we have to always remember that we're like inside the the housing bubble, probably to the nth degree, okay. yeah. depending so much on it, and being the. I mean, I joked in 2009 when people were like, what is all this stimulus crap? And I just kind of like, oh, well, I'm lucky to be in the only industry I think that's benefiting from it. I did talk um, to a
7: painter yesterday, uh, and he said that he's done a lot. He's been busy. Well, is, People are more uh, confident in spending money on painting houses they have and he's not doing so much new construction
4: right yeah we've seen that we've seen that with the home depot stocks when one of the best performers people are out spending money on their own home to remodel but a lot of that's been fueled by their um either inability to move or lack of confidence in right. being able to sell their home for the price that they want to get for it and move right. into something else
3: well and painters are always busier in the summer well, cuz it's true. hard to paint houses when it's raining. So yeah, there's so. going to be some of that anyway. And I mean, let's add it up real quick. I I worked for a company that went out of business in 2007, right? Early 2007. So we have 7 8 9 10 11 12 13. Or is this like 7th month of or 7th year of recession? If you haven't had any extra scratch in the last seven years, especially, you know, I know some people that were like, yeah, the place needs paint, but I'm not sure we're going to keep it. Like, (laughs) We might lose this house if things don't pick up, you know, especially if you're self-employed small business owner, throwing a coat of paint on the exterior of the house, no matter how bad it needs it is probably something that you're, you know, watching pretty closely. And then once you feel like you clear the hurdle, then maybe you get out and paint, right? in 7 years probably a pretty decent little cycle to be painting. I know some buddies that are like painting contractors and they've had some brutal past years oh, here certainly. and and yeah, getting better this year. But so that's the thing is that this is what I kind of worry about is that we're just all kind of getting our chin up and the only thing I can say that I see as been a driver in this is the low interest rate. We,
4: we navigated. But for a lot of people who have taken advantage of the low interest rate, the whole purpose for them was to improve their household cash flow, and they've done that. Sure. So now does the higher interest rate impact them anymore? It only mattered to them for that transaction, and now they've done all they can do on their debt side. You know, We've been yeah. talking about this. And this everybody's is opportunity. into a fixed rate loan. This is your opportunity to fix your debts at a low interest rate and be able to move forward um, with – a new baseline for how how much it costs to live for you and your family every month. And so for the folks who've done that and take advantage of that, it's great. For folks like us who make a living off of people needing to do that every day, it hurts us. For the people who haven't been able to take advantage of it, it hurts them. Um, So it kind of depends on what side of the fence you fall on on this issue, I think. And so, you know... And that's where we get, you know, some folks feeling confident in the future, and others feeling less confident. It kind of depends on whether you've taken advantage or not.
7: I wonder about the whole Obamacare thing when that fully takes effect, though. How people are going to fill in? I don't know. Insurance rates. Eh. Like it depends that. on
4: if you have health care now or not. We're over <laughs> that. I don't even think people
3: even care anymore.
4: Yeah. I think we should slip into a commercial break here because that's. Our favorite thing to do on the show is slip into commercial breaks, right? Yeah. It's kind of like slipping into a nice comfy pair of PJs. You're good at it. (laughs) When we come back, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit and talk about what this new interest rate environment could mean. There's one economist at Deutsche Bank who says the irony of higher interest rates is that it's likely to mean more people can qualify for mortgages. Whoa! Pretty wild, right? So we because should talk about home that. Because
3: values are going to fall. <laughs>
4: what does this mean for the the HARP program extension to 2015? What does it mean for those people who still are looking forward to that program to qualify? Let's talk about a couple of those things when we get back from this quick commercial break.
5: The city of Morro Bay has their patriotic arms open and waiting for you to join them once again this Fourth of July for an Independence Day celebration that will be better than ever.
0: All the festivities kick off at 10 a.m. with the Moral Bay Mile Skateboard Push Race on the Harbor Walk. And don't forget to decorate your bike for the 4th Annual Bike Parade at 1 p.m. from The Rock to Tidelands Park, where the activities continue.
5: It's a fun family day with live music, lawn games, and more.
0: This year's music lineup includes Zongo All-Stars, Back Bay Betty, and headliner Rio Salinas with Louie Ortega.
5: And, of course, the star of every Morro Bay 4th of July is the fireworks, which blasts off at 9 p.m.
0: This is a 4th of July celebration that brings you back, and it's fun for the entire family.
5: Brought to you by Tognazzini's Dockside 2, Stacks Wine Bar, and Eldorado Broadcasters. For a
0: schedule of events, lodging options, and more, check out the website at morrobay That's morrobay4th.org.
3: Whether you're a first-time home buyer or a savvy real estate investor, there's no denying that now is a great time to buy. We pride ourselves in offering every loan program at the lowest interest rate and the lowest fees. FHA, VA, USDA, conventional, we do it all. Let Central Coast Lending do your next purchase. Your loan will close on time and on budget with no last-minute surprises. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626 central coast lending the mortgage experts
1: what a state of generosity look what my agent got for me just by switching to state farm a few hundred unexpected bucks i couldn't ask for more but now i've got to figure out what i should use it for a new bike would be radical but maybe something practical like a pet baboon with one robotic arm get to a better state state farm
0: Switch to State Farm, and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo. Call agent Susan Rodriguez. Get up,
1: stand up, stand up for your right. Get up, stand up, stand up for your right. Up, hey, man!
3: Welcome back. That was weak, huh?
7: That was terrible.
3: Whatever. Just trying to lighten it up a little in here. It seems so stressed. It's kind of smoky in here right now, too. It's kind of
7: hazy.
4: Is it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Bob Marley reference. Bob Marley. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
7: got (laughs) it. Okay. I was like, really?
3: We can open the door or
4: something. No, Ron. No, Ron. (laughs) So, yeah, there was an interesting quote here from... I'm not even going to try to say his name. He's a chief US economist at Deutsche Bank. And he's saying these higher mortgage rates that there's quite an irony. The irony is that higher rates are likely to mean more people can get mortgages. And so my take on You've that. You've got is, my
3: attention, sir. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Please tell me. I'm I I very much want to know. We have not seen QM come into play yet. I mean, it's kind of coming into play. QM's the Qualified Mortgage Rules. QMR, I guess, is the... QRM. QRM. That's how I know it. QM Qualified Residential Mortgage. Qualified Residential Mortgage. Okay. So there's some rules that are coming down um, to banks, and it has to do with them maintaining some skin in the game for riskier mortgages. So we're, defi- we're through this um, process here with the CFPB um, getting involved in mortgages, we're trying to define... What is a qualified re- residential mortgage, which would be a mortgage that banks don't need to maintain skin in the game; they don't need to maintain an ownership, and what falls outside of that QRM? And, and those, the banks will have to maintain a minimum five percent stake in those mortgages.
3: So we're and and so we're getting a little bit of clarity as they kind of hone in on what falls under each category. And so far, a QRM is one that. Um, it has some DTI restrictions. That's probably the biggest de- thing. And the, I did it again, just started spouting off the industry speak. That's the debt-to-income ratio stuff. So they want to they want to take kind of a conservative approach to this and know that these aren't loans being made on the fringe where you kind of got to – is this a coin toss of, of whether these people are actually going to make this happen? Are they a root canal away from going into foreclosure – and so, in, in that qualified residential mortgage talk, we're we're going to learn more about that. But basically, I think, and, and one of the things that. um a lot of organizations are sort of watchdogging right now is to make sure that they don't make that hole too small. The banks need to be able to make common sense loans to people and be able to move them freely on the market as they wish without keeping a stake in it. To to give you an idea, the reasons that banks are, are sort of reluctant to want to have to keep a stake in it is if you're a loan originating bank that that your plan and your company is geared towards bringing new business in funding it and then selling it out to the secondary market um, for servicing and, and ultimately a profit out of that sector, if you are forced then you know let's say you do a billion dollars a year and now you're forced to maintain a ten percent stake in everything you have. At some point, you usually run out of money because it's not it's not their um, their function to be able to keep loading money into that. So the fear is that it could impact the business. So they need to strike a well, fair it's, mix.
4: It's going to decrease competition when you get outside of a QRM loan. So you're gonna, there's going to be more of an opportunity for profit. You're going to have a limited few banks. Probably the big four that you referenced earlier are going to be the only ones that the financial – um, capital to be able to offer those mortgages, and like, they're going to do so at a premium.
3: Which is going to be like your stated income kind of loan well, or like a 95 or 97% it's loan gonna to be, value. It's going
4: to be your higher loan to values. And the big thing that I want to focus on here for purpose of this more people can get mortgages quote is the debt to income ratio. The number that's been tossed around that looks like is the number they're going to be using is 43% debt to income ratio. Um, Right now, we can get people qualified for mortgages on, you know, up to 50 percent on conventional, up to 57 percent on FHA. Um, This will mean that all those loans between 43 and 57 percent, banks have to maintain a 5 percent stake in. So the interest rates are going to jump up probably pretty considerably on those loans because of the... The decreased competition, the extra risk that the banks are taking by maintaining that stake. Um, so couple that –
3: people with a 57% debt-to-income ratio are accustomed to making poor choices, so they'll just pay more.
4: Well, couple that with a rising interest rate environment, so that decreases affordability, which – or it – raises someone's – I mean, it's decreasing affordability slash raising your debt-to-income ratio when you go to qualify for a mortgage. So as I read into this comment, the only way more people can qualify for mortgages when the rules are more restrictive on the bank side as far as offering loans and rates rising is to either offer riskier products like – Stated income. Um, Stated income loans or adjustable rate loans or deferred interest type loans. I mean, that's really it. That's the only way more people can qualify for mortgages. So is that what this gentleman's implying, that this rising interest rate environment and stricter rules from the CFPB, that that's going to lead to riskier loan products to get more people to qualify to feed the machine? No. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, totally. Is that what you're hearing?
3: Totally. Okay. I've done this on the I've done this on the show at at least a time or two before, but I want to tell you guys really succinctly how we got into the problem that we got into. It's not a you know, we wanna pin down Clinton and he did all this home ownership initiative crap and we wanna talk about, you know, the lack of regulation and the yada yada yada. I wanna tell you how we got the problem we got into because this is actually gonna give you the optimism for tomorrow. It's simple. This is true in life. This is one of the things I figured out for myself a few years back, and it's just, I think it's brilliant. You know how a mom can like, they say a mom's like, she got out of the station wagon and she lifted it off of this child. (laughs) Right? We've all heard this story. Because you can never discount self-preservation. You can never underestimate the strength or power, ingenuity, resourcefulness, sheer, unimaginable strength and ability to accomplish a goal when it's in the name of self-preservation, period. That's it. That's all. Don't ever – I mean that's what I say. Nobody puts baby in a corner, right? If you're in a corner – You got to expect that. That's when instinctually somebody's going to get down to scrappy, dirty fighting, and they are going to solve their problem. That's like why mankind is the top of the food chain here. In the lending world, in the housing world, in economics, going back to the two thousand and you know two, three, four, five, six, banks were dying. They're about to die. Rates were kinda creeping up a little bit. Housing was like kinda hitting its stride after that recession in the eight or in the late nineties here where things dipped and it kinda kinda was like it was basically just arriving at normal. I said, you know, we're either gonna have to like not make bigger profits next year, or we're gonna have to like start laying off staff and cutting overhead and stuff. So you know what? How can we just make more money? So, well, if you want to make more money, you got to do more loans. And if you want to do more loans, you got to dumb down the criteria. And if you want to talk about dumbing down the criteria, we know how to do that. You're going to drop the credit standards, lower the income standards hell, if you're down, let's just go ahead and make it to where these people don't even need to pay principal anymore. Let's just let's give them interest-only loans. And once that went on for a while, I said, well, they, they need an interest-only arm because that 6.5% interest-only thing's is not really making us the kind of money we want to make, so how about interest-only arms? And then, like we said, it's the mortgage insurance that's really dragging everyone down. So what if we just get rid of that and we just give them a second, and we'll just do that for like 11%, and that'll be more affordable. And then it keep the the engine running and then finally everybody had all their interest-only arms with their seconds and still it was slowing and in the interest of self-preservations the banks finally said well how about this uh on the interest-only deal you don't even actually need to give us all the interest we'll just take like half of it and we'll just add the other half on the back of the loan and that's the negative amortizing loan and so At the very end of it, we ended up with the ability to have no job, no credit, not even making a payment that's capable of covering the interest-only portion of the loan because the balance is growing every month. It's uninsured because you got this bizarro second on the deal. The whole thing is a house of cards, and it was all just because the banks needed a way – and when I say the banks, I just want to say this, not not just the banks. Our economy – Everybody that was tied to housing in any way, shape, or form um, was just down. Uh, just self-preservation, man. Yeah, we know this is stupid. You, you got to know. Everybody knew it was all dumb. Even when they were walking in going, um, yeah, I'm a hairdresser and I make $32,000 a year, and I'm buying this $650,000 house on this cracked-out loan where I'm not telling anybody how much money I make and all this weird stuff, and the loan's going to grow every month. It's all Wild, I couldn't agree more, but I'm going to sell it in three years for like 300 grand more than I buy it for. It was all because of self-preservation. So when you read this article to me right now, I'm telling you that I saw it from that side right out of the gate. Interest rates are going up. Dude, none of these banks are going out of business. None of it's going to slow down. Let me tell you what's going to happen. We're going to get some fun loan products again. We're going to have people tolerating higher risk. Second liens are going to get popular before home values begin to fall. And before they do, we need to figure out a way to make it more affordable for people to buy these homes. I'm going to tell you, seeing a negatively amortizing loan is probably not going to happen. You want to know what may very well happen? Forty-year fix, dude. Bring it on. Everybody that could afford four hundred grand at three and a quarter percent, and now it's four and a half, so they can only afford three fifty. You know what? Give them a forty-year loan. They can afford four fifty. Send them out to the market. Everyone will keep making the dough they make because we're all about self-preservation.
4: How many emails have you received in the last month or so saying save that refi with a seven-year arm? Yeah. Oh, totally.
3: It's (laughs) happening already. Yeah. And you know what? And honestly, I've already had this conversation with a couple people that have been blown out of the water by the rates. It's like, well, especially, excuse me, if you already have a crappy loan like that, like some kind of an arm or something, for example, a lot of people came to me and said, well I got a five-year arm in 2006 and it adjusted in 2011 and every year it just adjusts down and and in if you time well you should probably refinance that into like a 3.25 30 year fixed. oh. Nonsense! It's at two point eight right now. I'm like, look, knucklehead. When rates go up, we're gonna find that loan. Your loan's gonna go to seven, eight, nine percent, and so you're laughing now because you're at two point eight seven on your index plus your margin. And you, why would I raise my rate to go to a three and a quarter thirty year fix? Well, the funny thing is, is all those people that waited. These are the people that are gonna be showing up for a lot of these refis too, saying, "Hey, well." Every month, my arm is going up. Um, I didn't look, Dan, this week. I was so caught up in the market stuff that has this impacted the LIBOR? Any idea? I didn't look. So we'll have to check that out. I'm going to venture to say that it probably has. And in doing so, that means that this could mark the beginning of a lot of those adjustable rate loans beginning to adjust higher than they were last month. And... So so you get my point though. I mean it's it's crazy. We are willing to do whatever it takes to um stay in business and not go out. What are you looking at over there? 1 year LIBOR is down from 1 month ago. Okay. So it hasn't, it hasn't translated over there yet. yet. But that's going to be one of the metrics to watch, um, and that will be a fun one to watch. And so those people that had oh, the, the super smart 2.87 adjustment, when they walk in with like the five and go, hey, let's get that three and a quarter. And you go, dude, the three and a quarter is like a thing of yesteryear. We can get you a 5% today um, or – Hey, here's another arm, dude. Why not
4: take an arm? It's only four. And you just, like, it just keeps on keeping on. So, what do you think this move higher in rates means for the HARP program? For people who are still trying to qualify for HARP, do you think it's going to have a big impact? Do you think there's a lot of people still trying to get into that? Loan program,
3: yeah. The you can look at the track record of HARP, and every month it's more than the previous month. It's it's been gaining um, e- effectiveness every month as more people are learning about it, and including loan officers and banking institutions. I think, and the other thing too is it's been I don't know was it is it been a year now since. The reps and warrant type of thing was lifted to oh, at least. So banks now are realizing that hey, more and more people are offering the unlimited loan to value and and really tolerating the full risk of the program is where it's actually it's actually really been getting some great legs. Uh, if rates stay at this level, Harp's dead. Done. Might as well just. But they
4: just extended it through 2015. Yeah, well,
3: evidently they weren't paying attention to the potential tapering that might happen when interest rates, you know, and and unemployment drop. Maybe they'll offer some harp arms.
4: That'd be cool. <laughs> Says the guy looking for self-preservation. Hey, man, <laughs> I'm not. I, hey, I'll call a spade
7: a spade. You might want to mention what was LIBOR now. Uh, LIBOR
3: is the London Interbank Offered Rate, and it's it's kind of the equivalency of – I'm going to say kind of because I guess we could explain this just a little bit. But um, there's basically a bunch of white-haired dudes that get together and set a bank rate over, and this is kind of the trading rate between banks mm-hmm. in Europe and mm-hmm. – um, so, anyways, it's it's a rate that really is set in a very discretionary way. Most of the indices – Like our Fed funds rate. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, like our Fed funds rate where they just say, hey, this is what it is. Okay. But then there are other indices that are tracked that um, – like a cost of index funds type of index or, or cost of funds index like the coffee. This tracks like a historical average and it kind of moves with the economy. So my, my point is is that it's it's something that can be – when well, Lehman Brothers failed in 2008, these guys got together and doubled LIBOR overnight. And,
4: in in okay. the context of of how it was used earlier here, LIBOR is the index that a lot of adjustable rate mortgages More than two are based thirds. on. Um, the, the other common one is the, the T-bill, the treasury, the one-year treasury. So when as those rates move higher or lower – that's how your mortgage interest rate, when it adjusts, will move. It will f- follow higher or lower depending on how the LIBOR or the Treasury rates move. Yeah.
7: Because you know? I wasn't sure, too sure if people really knew what the LIBOR is. Or no, I, I
3: appreciate that. you got to slow us down when we start using acronyms and industry-specific <laughs> terms and things that – you know, I take for granted that everybody knows what I'm saying when I say DTI and QRM and LIBOR and all that junk. But I know they don't. So thank you. You yeah, can interject any time yeah, when you no, want to like, well. bring it down to the layman. Um, so yeah, that's the deal. We're we're going to see self preservation offer new products and programs to make sure that. Everybody that works in this industry continues to make a living. Um, You can count on it. You can hang your hat on it. Tell them you heard it here on Mortgage Matters, and you heard it just before the final break of the show, which means we'll be back in, like, two. Stick around.
5: The city of Morro Bay has their patriotic arms open and waiting for you to join them once again this 4th of July for an Independence Day celebration that will be better than ever.
0: All the festivities kick off at 10 a.m. with the Morro Bay Mile Skateboard Push Race on the Harbor Walk. And don't forget to decorate your bike for the 4th Annual Bike Parade at 1 p.m. from The Rock to Tidelands Park where the activities continue.
5: It's a fun family day with live music, lawn games, and more.
0: This year's music lineup includes Zongo All-Stars, Back Bay Betty, And headliner Rio Salinas with Louis Ortega.
5: And of course, the star of every Morro Bay Fourth of July is the fireworks, which blast off at 9 p.m.
0: This is a Fourth of July celebration that brings you back. And it's fun for the entire family.
5: Brought to you by Tognazini's Dockside 2, Stacks Wine Bar, and Eldorado Broadcasters. For a
0: schedule of events, lodging options, and more, check out the website at morrobayfourth.org. That's morrobayfourth.org.
3: Borrowing hundreds of thousands of dollars for a home purchase or refinance can be a stressful endeavor. And if you're like most Californians, you only get a home loan once every five years. That's why you need an experienced guide who knows the terrain and can carry the load of two mules. You need the Mortgage Sherpa, and he's only at Central Coast Lending. Let the Mortgage Sherpa lighten your load. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543 Loan. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the Mortgage Experts.
1: The State of Denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm.
0: Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez.
3: miss the dating game they would um be like the bachelorette and then the the three um bachelors the audience would all vote one one good times we should make that show again maybe maybe if uh if the business does go under we could just
4: <laughs> do the dating game oh boy
3: with Chuck Woolery.
4: So do I dare ask you to make a prediction? Go for it. I'm just kind of curious. Where? What do we have to look forward to in the upcoming weeks and month? Yeah, I'll make a
3: prediction right now. Um, one thing that we haven't mentioned yet is that uh, we're hitting the end of the second quarter here, as we... I mean this next week is the last week in June and so one of the things that could explain for this trade off that f- this sell off in the bond market that feels like it's not depending on the news like the the data that's available to us just sort of going rogue um, part of it could very well be that the you know folks are just selling off to try to take some profits and um, you know make sure that they capture some of that because remember all of these investments you only actually the 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 profit is only realized when you sell and that's the that's kind of the the thing here my point is that if so many people are selling to take profits. Once the sell-off begins, then other people say, well, hey, um, I'm going to sell, too, so that you know I can get the profits, too, because the, the bigger selling activity could undermine you if you're the guy that stays and holds. So after we get through June here, I think there's a really good chance that those same people will choose to buy back in and get their stake again and, and start working again. And
4: So you see early July rates starting to ease their way back. Yeah,
3: I really do. And, okay. and you know, just like gas prices, they're quick to go up and slow to come down, so it's going to take a little bit of time. And I also um, want you to know that I definitely believe, and, and I could prove to be wrong, and this is a bold statement, but I think that the feds will increase – at some point in the near future, their bond buying amount.
4: Wow! All right, it's a bold prediction. We've got a caller waiting on the line. Let's take Ron from Rio Grande. Let's see what Ron has to say.
1: Hi there, gentlemen. How's caught it your, going? Caught your show on the on the road, and I, you know, I'd, it's always good advice never to disagree with professionals that are in the business. But I was uh, I was wondering if uh, if you approach the, the the brilliance of the idea that you had a minute ago that you were talking that you were talking about and say that maybe rather than the banks uh, being at fault here, maybe they were just, they were providing um, a supply to a, they were supplying a demand. You got a demand from Freddie and Fannie to buy these mortgages. And they were, they say that, you know, that they're willing to pay more money than what it costs you to sell it. So the, Fannie's buying them and Freddie Wall Street wanted them. So there's a lot of demand built up. So maybe you could explain to me because I don't I'm not sure that I understand why the banks didn't run out of money. You can only make so many loans and then you have to sell them. So there's a demand to you know, a lot of people are wanting to buy those.
3: And are we talking about in today's economy or what it looked like seven years ago?
1: Well, uh, looks seven years
3: ago. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. In, in fact, and are you wanting to get off the air? Are you willing to have a little bit of a dialogue about this? Because I feel like I need to kind of quiz you a little bit to make sure that I fully understand what you're asking.
1: Uh, no, I'm not in a hurry.
3: Okay. So, I mean, first of all, one of the things that was happening, you know, in, in the two, early 2000s era, and, and this is when Dan and I were working in the operations side of the business, we had a lot of um, different banks. And, and when I, I feel like I'm even using the term bank loosely. Um, I mean, ultimately, they were banks by nature, but they're mainly like investors is what we called them. And we saw like guys from Credit Suisse that, that ran the desks that we worked with selling loans every day. Defecting, and they were able to come up with their own ability to buy loans nearly overnight, and then could become aggregators of them themselves and start to put out securities and you know, these kinds of things to market that they really had no business in doing. So first of all, the majority of the crazy loan program stuff that was going down was happening not at all because of Fannie and Freddie. In fact, Fannie and Freddie never bought any of those, um, you know, second lien pools. They didn't do loans that um, had seconds attached to them at the time of closing. They didn't do negatively amortizing loans. So... What, what really happened to Fannie and Freddie at that time, um, if we made a Fannie Mae loan, they would pay us about a quarter of a percent gain on sale to make the loan. So I could make a loan to Fannie, a um, $100,000 loan as just a vanilla Fannie Mae loan and, and sell it into one of the Fannie Mae um, aggregators and get uh, $100,250 in return for having done that. Now, granted, we made some money on the underwriting fees and maybe origination or something to have made the loan, but the profit margin in the sale was very small. When the guys that defected from Credit Suisse and started up, I think it was the winner group was the one that they started – Um, They came along and said, hey, instead of making that loan out to Fannie, um, why don't you sell it to us and we'll pay you 102% of the note value. So now I could take the same $100,000 loan and sell it to the winner group for $102,000. All the same quality, everything about it, just the same. And so basically what happened is Fanny and Freddie then become the, why on earth would you send them a loan? So they nearly start dying on the vine as so much of the new originations are going out to these banks that have no history, don't know what they're doing, overpaying a premium and incenting us to give them the loans. And so... Fannie then, in turn, had to dumb down their standards, lowering credit scores and beginning to accept what they called like fast and easy, where with a good credit score you wouldn't have to provide your income documentation and that's where they began to get into trouble but so for them, it was also in self preservation they began dumbing down their standards to try to be able to to compete and um you isn't know it,
1: isn't it- isn't true that when they uh, when they did that, Franny and Fetty could do that without risk? Because they've got an unlimited amount of uh, taxpayer money to fund them.
3: <laughs> I, I don't think that was known at the time, though. I mean, at the time, these were still private enterprise. And, and that has been one of the tough pills to swallow here is that for all of those years, the profits were privatized. But then the losses were made public as soon as they got themselves into too much trouble. And, you know, so so, yeah, I, there, it's a it is. As much as it sounds like a pretty complex thing, from where I was sitting and what I saw, it seemed pretty simple to me. I definitely – we saw companies come out of the woodwork overnight that offered – exponentially more than the people that understood the risk and really monitored the guidelines well. And that greed and extra profit is what drove us away from the quality that Fannie Mae. I mean, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac had rich, long histories of understanding and evaluating risk and and understanding what these you know risk profiles were worth and what was tolerable or not. And these companies that were springing up in the middle of the night weren't very different than the hairdresser that intended to buy a home and make 300,000 in appreciation next year. Um, they were hoping to buy a, a $50 million pool worth of mortgages that they could sell two weeks later, you know, for a profit and never have to worry about the long-term impacts of the crazy loan they were offering. So, I mean, some of this new regulation is a good thing that'll prevent that from happening in the next cycle. Uh, but, you know that, and and ultimately the consumer's got to take responsibility in this too, because none of this would have been possible if the consumer was smart enough to not sign up for debt they knew they were incapable of paying, and for exotic loans that they knew um, were not the kind of loans that mom and dad got. So,
1: well, one a, of the the things that happens with a consumer is that you know if I'm a consumer and I'm paying sixteen hundred dollars a month rent. Or, you know, I got a nice house, I'm paying $1,600 a month, and I get uh, notification that um, I can get, buy a house, no money down, and my payments are 1400 a month. Why wouldn't just, you? Just Why wouldn't I? Even if I have no job, and yeah. I can't qualify any sort of a loan that had a restriction. Sure. So, I mean, that just makes sense that if you're going to get free, free money or save money, <laughs> because you don't care about your credit, you figure that if prices go right. up... You make money if they do, if they go down, you walk away from it.
3: Yeah, point well taken, Ron. I I hate to cut you short, but we only have a minute left here, so we got to start wrapping up the show. Okay. Um, thank you so much for listening, and I sure appreciate you calling in. It it, um, it always means a lot to us to to know that people are listening and engaged in the conversation. Um, hey, you guys. The show today, I mean, you could tell it's it's been heavy on us, the, the movement in the market. And I, I do want you all to know that um, Dan tried to pin me down a minute ago, and so I didn't get to fully summarize my comment. After the profit-taking here in the last week of June... I do expect that we'll see some softening in the interest rate market. And at some point, this is my long shot here, my like double down long shot. I think the feds are probably going to have to step up and put some more money out there and show that they are committed to this tapering thing until we know that that housing is definitely recovered and and that other parts of the economy are um, worth talking about too, because it can't be just on housing and then you yank the string that puts housing back in jeopardy. So, um, but uh if you're involved in a loan transaction uh whether you're purchasing or refinancing we'd love to be able to give you a quote and give you some advice help you understand how all of this stuff works we pride ourselves in in knowing all facets of the loan programs and being able to help people with all all of the different programs we do the the FHA, USDA, VA, we do conventional loans, all of those different loan types we'd love to hear from you. You can find us at 543-LOAN, which is five four three five six two six, And also, this is your personal invitation to check out centralcoastlending.com. We have a great staff that puts a ton of time into it. So check it out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Mortgage Matters. I know you'll be listening to hear how this all shakes out. Thanks for joining us.